You go, Jazz. Doesn't she do such a great job? So good. So good. All right, a few rules. I do not want to know the score to the UVA game. So those of you that are watching while I'm preaching, I understand. Just don't text me the score because I'm recording it at home and I'm going to watch it later after my meetings later tonight. So please do not text me. Rules, NCAA tournament weekend rules. Hey, let me also tell you about the um, amazing uh, opportunity you're going to have to be a part of a fundraiser for a group uh, that we endorse uh, are getting ready to support the Virginia Beach Justice Initiative. You can go to this website. The, come on, you can clap for that. It's good. VBJIVBJI.org. If you go there, they have a, a, an opportunity to be a part of a fundraising event coming up on April 13th. It's a run. Uh, it's early in the morning, so it doesn't conflict with our service uh, that afternoon. Uh, but we're excited. The elders are going to be meeting next week. As you know, we just did our big push uh, for faith, promise, and missions giving at the beginning of the year. Uh, and we're going to almost, it, it was, you all responded so, uh, so generously that we're going to almost be able to triple uh, the number of groups and missionaries that we're supporting. So we're so excited. VBJI is on the list uh, for one of the groups that we plan to support. And so we're excited about reaching out to them and many others uh, about bringing them on to our monthly uh, support roles. And so, and then also we're sending a check as well. Well, uh, to support this fundraising uh, effort out of our, our missions fund. So they uh, work uh, in this area with human trafficking. Uh, you might think that those are problems in big cities like New York City and Miami or Los Angeles. It's a big problem right here. In, in the 757, especially because this is a resort destination. Anywhere in the U.S. that is a resort destination, human trafficking is a huge problem, a huge problem. And so this group is working uh, to get uh, young ladies uh, set free uh, from those environments. So it is an amazing group, and, and they do incredible work here uh, on the peninsula. I also want to get this date on your calendar, uh, April 28th. We, we work really hard to make sure we do not put anything on your Sunday, right? This is part of being a Saturday church, so it's a rarity that we would ever challenge you to do something on a Sunday, but we, every, uh, every probably a couple of times a year, uh, there are definitely opportunities that warrant us getting together on a Sunday. April 28th is the final service for North Riverside Baptist Church here in this building. Uh, again, if, if you've been tracking with us for any amount of time, you know we're about ready to be the recipient of this incredible facility. It's going to be gifted to us uh, completely. And uh, so we want to show up on the 28th and support them, right, on their last service. And so we're going to be here as a family. I hope you're going to choose to come out uh, as a family. Their, their uh, worship service is, is from 11 to 12. It might go a little bit longer. They're going to be honoring some people. Uh, but get here a little bit before 11, and uh, let's fill this place up with them. Can we do that? Let's fill this place up, celebrate them, honor them. Uh, they've been meeting here, starting at the school across the street since the late 1950s. And so the passing of the baton that's taking place from their congregation to ours for 311 Selden Road, it's a sacred moment. So April 28th, please get that on your calendar uh, and show up with us and, uh, and let's celebrate and uh, support them. So I'm loving the series that we're in. Break the yoke. Uh, I'm going to do a little bit of an extended recap 
uh, for you tonight because I want to be able to finish some of the information that we got into last week that we didn't have the time to reach. Uh, and then also just because there's visitors here every week. So every now and again in our series, we just want to do a little bit of a recap just so that they can catch up with us. If you're new to us, uh, we do uh, uh, we record the service. It's online every week through our website, citylifeva.com. But we also put our notes up. Uh, because we tend to cover a lot of textual ground, and so it can frustrate you if you're a note taker. And, uh, and so all of the verses and the texts and the points that we work through together here every Saturday night, uh, there's a PDF attached to the podcast uh, through the web page. So the imagery of the muskox is important because you're never going to find a yoke on an animal like that because they don't make them big enough to fit it. And it's a prophetic picture for our lives spiritually when the enemy comes, when temptation comes, to try to yoke us with some type of bondage, to try to yoke us, to try to put something on us that controls us, that minimizes us, that competes with the authority of Christ in our lives. Our lives should have such a spiritual strength to them that that, that temptation is unsuccessful in trying to yoke us in any way. And this verse in Isaiah 10, 27 that we've been teaching out of many of us have grown up in church being taught this phrase that it's the anointing that breaks the yoke and that's true in certain texts there's other places in the bible which we've worked through together in this series in luke chapter 4 and acts chapter 10 that talk about this idea of the power of god coming to set us free we sang about it tonight we believe that we practice that we pray for people we've seen it happen in people's lives but if that's the only way that you're pursuing freedom there's going to be freedom in your life that you'll never receive Because sometimes what God says to you and what he says to me is, I'm not going to set you free supernaturally. I want you to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to grow in the character of Christ. And then that bondage begins to break off of your life. That's what Isaiah 10, 27, when we read it out of the New American Standard, is all about. It talks about fatness. It's talking about this idea of you and I being so spiritually fat in a good way, right? We're fat with the character of Christ that all of a sudden things that we've struggled with just begin to break off and fall away from our lives. We've been sharing this thought that how much time have we spent in our lives regarding certain struggles, pleading with God to deliver us when his response to us all along has been grow out of it. I was just thinking this week about, you know, our children and, you know, 18, 16 and soon to be 15. But I remember when they were little and there's times, right, where you're just, you're frustrated because they're, they're, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. And we have a parenting class that we teach here called Growing Kids God's Way. We're huge fans of this parenting curriculum. Again, we teach it every year here because, right, you're born and mature into the ability to give birth to children, but you've got to learn how to raise them. And one of the things that they teach us through this parenting curriculum is you have to distinguish between foolishness and childishness. Childishness is they just don't know any better because they don't know any better, right? But foolishness is something very different. Foolishness is when they know better and they're just choosing not to do it. Parents oftentimes get frustrated or they overpunish or they overcorrect because they're forgetting at the end of the day they're still children. And they have to learn, they have to mature, and they have to grow. There's things in in our children's lives that we just have to be patient, that they've got to grow out of it. It's the same is true with our spiritual lives. 
There's just things in our lives that, that we, sometimes we struggle with. Sometimes we struggle because it's foolishness, right? We know better and we do it anyway. But there's other things in our lives where God's just waiting for us to grow so that we can get free from those things. Psalm 27, 13, right? I would have lost, lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Deuteronomy 29, 29, there on the screen, such a powerful verse for us. It says, the Lord our God has secrets that are known to no one. We're not accountable for them. This is this idea of the difference between childishness and foolishness. There's things that we just don't know. And here the Bible is saying that there's things that we're never going to know until we get to heaven. God doesn't hold us responsible for those things. But listen to what it says. But we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. We believe here at this church that there will never be the fullness of Psalm 27, 13 realized in our lives until we embrace a Deuteronomy 29, 20, 29 life and become Isaiah 10, 27 fat. There are spiritual fatty foods that you need in your life so that you can grow in the character of Christ. And God's not planning on force-feeding you to do it. He invites you into a journey. He invites you into a relationship. It's called discipleship. If you're visiting with us tonight, there's a little green book. It's free to you in the back. You can ask anybody in a blue shirt. They'll give it to you. It walks you through our discipleship process. There's, in there, we talk about 12 pathways, which are the spiritual fatty foods of Christianity. And as you begin to feast on those things, I'm telling you, the character of Christ will begin to grow in you. And things that you have struggled with, for some of you, it might have been for years, you're going to find that those things, you're, God's going to begin to set you free because you grow through them. All right, so let's talk about Hophni and Phinehas. Again, we got into this last week. I want to get back into it. We didn't have time to finish it all. So let me just reteach just some of this. These are the sons of Eli. They're spiritual leaders in the nation of Israel. They're supposed to be the ones that are setting the example. They're supposed to, right? They're the pastors of their day. And the Bible tells us that these were evil men and they were doing terrible things. And one of the descriptions that we worked through last week together is that when people would come and bring a peace offering to the temple, that they were doing some things that they weren't supposed to do. Specifically, they were taking portions of the sacrifice for themselves that didn't belong to them. Now, the reason why in the Old Testament there's so much emphasis on the sacrificial system is because God is pointing to this table. God is setting into motion a belief and an understanding that one day Jesus is going to die for the sins of the world. So when you're doing your Bible reading plan, right, and you can get frustrated because it's easy to get bogged down into Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy, and it gets it's so precise, all these details, describing all these different kinds of sacrifices, don't give up. Labor through that because it's in there to say to you over and over and over again, one day Jesus is going to die for the sins of the world. One day Jesus is going to die for the sins of the world. Over and over. Every practice, every sacrifice, every ceremony, God is proclaiming to the world for generations, Jesus is going to die for the sins of the world. This idea of a vicarious death that brings about a redemptive purpose. And so these two priests are taking something that is sacred and they're defiling it. People would come and they would bring this certain sacrifice. And then after the animal was slain, 
that was like, you can think of it as like being in a butcher shop. And certain parts of the animal were given to the priest that was overseeing the sacrifice. Then certain parts of the animal were set aside for all the other priests that were on duty and working at the temple. And then certain parts of the animal was given back to the family that they would in turn take back into their homes and would eat as a celebration and a feast. Now, not every sacrifice gave meat back to the family, but this the peace offering did. And the priests were sending servants to follow these people home and to take from them portions that did not belong. Now they started out by waiting for the people to put the meat in the pot and boil it, which was part of the practice that how they would cook the meat for the peace offering. And the servant would come in with a fork and they would stick it in the pot and it was their way of, of perverting this idea of casting lots, which was part of the decision-making process in ancient Israel, right? creating a scenario and a situation that was beyond their control, trusting and believing that God would make a decision. And so they're taking this fork and sticking it in the pot. The idea is that if anything sticks to the fork while it's in the pot, it must necessarily be that it's God's will for them to take it, right? which is a perversion of a practice. But it got to a point where they just got tired of sticking a fork in the pot, And they would show up even before the food was being prepared and to say to the people, just give me some of that meat. We talked about that this week. This is last week. This is what temptation does. It emboldens us. You begin to do things that you're not supposed to do. It won't take long before you start to do things you thought you would never do. And this is the story that we see here with Hophni and Phinehas. Both priest and person were forbidden to keep another person's portion. You see, when they would bring that animal for the peace offering to the temple to be sacrificed, there were two responsibilities by two groups of people. The priests were forbidden from taking the portion that belonged to the people, and the people were forbidden to keep the portion that belonged to the priest. It was a partnership It was a ritual, and God had prescribed and made it very clear what belonged to who. But there was a third part of this animal that belonged to someone else, and this is the part that we didn't get to last week. You see, there's a portion of the animal that belongs to the priests, the portion of the animal that belongs to the family, but there was another portion of the animal, and that belonged to God. And it was not to be consumed by the priest, and it was not to be consumed by the people. It was to be offered as a burnt offering to the Lord himself. So as you study this text, and what the servants of Hophni and Phinehas were doing, is that when they were to go into the home with the fork in the pot, they were past the process of the part that belonged to God, and they were only taken portions that belonged to the family. But as you read in the story, you begin to see that they said to the family, give me this portion, give me that portion, and give me that cut of meat right there. And as you read the story, you find that the people began to protest. They said, you can take whatever portion you want that belongs to us, But you cannot have this portion because it belongs to God. Now they knew that these priests were doing things that they weren't supposed to do. 
But these were influential people. These were powerful people. These people were being victimized by people in authority over them. It's interesting that they didn't begin to protest until all of a sudden they began to violate something that belonged to the Lord himself. But even then, even then, the priests instructed the servants, take it anyways. Listen to this verse in Leviticus 3, 16 to 17. And the priests will burn them on the altar. It is a special gift of food, a pleasing aroma to the Lord, right? It's like when you're coming home from work. You've had a long day. And you turn onto the street that you live on. And all of a sudden you realize somebody is grilling steaks on their deck. And you say the same prayer that everybody else prays as they're driving down that street. Dear God, let that be my house. <laughs> right? And then reality sets in. That you pull up to your house at the same time as the Domino's driver does. And you realize that that aroma belongs to someone else and you go to bed that night terribly bitter. I know. I, I hear you. Right? We understand. Right? We've been there. The imagery of the Bible, right? If you just, if we slow down sometime as we, as we read it, we can connect with what, what God is trying to say to us. Now, the, the, the aroma, right? The aroma isn't pleasing to God in the same way that it's pleasing to us because he doesn't have a physical appetite. The aroma that he's talking about is the aroma of, that comes from the heart of a person who's willing to give up something that they could have chosen to keep, but they don't out of obedience to their God. That smells like something to God, and it smells sweet to him because it is the reciprocation of love and affection. And he's got an appetite for that. Listen to what Leviticus 3 says. All the fat belongs to the Lord. All the fat belongs to the Lord. Verse 17. You must never eat any fat or blood. This is a permanent law for you. And it must be observed from generation to generation wherever you live. Now there's some disagreement amongst scholars whether or not this verse in Leviticus is saying to the Israelites they can never consume any fat of any kind of any animal. Most believe that that's not what it's saying because there's other times in the stories and feasts and other practices where you can see they're utilizing the fat of the animal. Most scholars believe that this is specifically talking about certain kinds of offerings. That when there's an animal that's being presented to an offering, in an offering, especially the peace offering, there is a portion that belongs to God. And the priest is not allowed to have it. The people are not allowed to have it. It's to be burnt up because it's the portion that belongs to the Father. See, this is another reason why reading Isaiah 10.27 the right way is so important. Because if you read it in the way that it wasn't intended to be written, that the anointing breaks the yoke, and you don't read it the way that it was intended to be written, which is this idea of fatness, you miss out on the prophetic play of words that God intended us to see when we begin to put Isaiah next to these verses in Leviticus. You see, there is a fatness that you were supposed to give up 
for the fatness that you in turn are supposed to gain. If you keep the portion of fatness, material things, that does not belong to you, then you will never become fat spiritually in the way that God intended. But there is a fatness that we have to forego. There is a portion that we've got to give up. And it's called fat because, right, it's favorable to us. Now, I love a good hamburger. But you and I both know that that hamburger is not good unless it's at least 80-20. You tracking with me? I'm all for lean meat, but not on my hamburger. There needs to be some fat in that burger for it to be juicy. Thank you, Cortez, for it to taste good. At least 80-20, give me something. There's a reason why God uses this because, again, in our human experience, we understand what he's talking about. He's asking you to give up something that something inside of you is inclined to want to keep. But he says to you, and he says to me, don't do it, because that's not your portion. And the consequence, right, when we begin to understand the Bible in light of itself, as we begin to look at Leviticus in comparison to Isaiah 10, we realize that not only is the consequence that God does not receive the portion that belongs to him, the ultimate consequence actually comes back to us because the portion that God wants us to have has to do with character and virtue. And spiritual fatness is never going to come unless we give up part of the fatness of the human experience that we want to cling to. You see, this system of sacrifice isn't just to say to the world one day Jesus is going to die for the sins of the world. That's the most important thing that it says to us. But this system of sacrifice is also saying something else. It's saying to you and it's saying to me that you and I have to dedicate and devote ourselves to certain practices if we ever want to grow spiritually. If we want to transform and change, if we want to break free from the things that encumber us in this life, there is responsibility that has been given to us to grow out of our spiritual childishness into a place of maturity that begins to break off the things that the world tries to put upon us. Sacrifices were intended to train the people of God that stewardship and generosity are spiritual fatty foods. That the eternal part of you and I are desperate to have. And for too many of us, we spend too many years of our lives denying ourselves of the deeper hunger. There's a part of you, there's a part of me, let's just be honest, that wants to hold on to the portion that God is asking us to give up. But can we also agree that there is a deeper hunger inside of us? There is a deeper hunger inside of us that's hungry for virtue, that's hungry for the character of Christ. And I've got to be willing to deny myself here. I've got to be willing to go hungry in my humanity so that the God in me can be fed in the way that God intended so part of this series, we're asking ourselves some hard questions. 
Are we keeping a portion that God intends for us to give to another? This picture of this animal being brought into the temple, it's powerful for us. Because there are three specific portions. And that animal represents our material resources. And there are three portions that God intends for what he gives to you and me. There is a portion that he wants us to keep and enjoy and celebrate. There's a portion that belongs to him. But there's also portions that belong to other people. Just being able to step into moments of generosity to share with our fellow man. I was talking with a couple before service tonight, just looking at all of these communion trays that are here and I just had this moment of reflection I think it was back in 2009 we had just moved out of the movie theater and into the into the mosaic off of 28 Harpersville road and and the church began to grow and we did not have enough trays for the communion that needed to be prepared and we and we didn't have the money to buy them they they were they they're expensive that was a lot of money for our church back in its early days and i remember getting up and 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 we talked with the church about you know hey this is a great problem to have as a church that we have more people taking communion than we have trays to be able to provide and we don't have budget for it this year and people just began to spontaneously give in that service and we were able to buy them that next week that's a portion it's people having Something set aside for moments of generosity. Are we keeping a portion that God intends for us to give to another? But there's another question that we have to ask as well. Are we keeping a portion that God intends for us to give to him? There is a portion that has been entrusted to us that God says, I want you to give that back to me. So let's talk about something that I'm going to call the portion principle. Because when we ask these questions and we begin to connect them to the sovereignty of God, maybe you find yourself in this place where you're wrestling with this, this curiosity. Well, if God wanted me to, them to have it or he wants himself to have it, why did he give it to me? Why didn't he just distribute it a different way? Why does he give to me what he wants to be given to someone else? Why wouldn't he, if he's perfect, if he's all-knowing, why, why didn't he just sovereignly divide up all the resources and let everybody have what they need? It's a good question. It's answered for us in the Bible, like the Bible tends to do. Joshua 21, 1 through 3. Then the leaders of the tribe of Levi came to consult with Eleazar the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the leaders of the other tribes of Israel. They came to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan and said, The Lord commanded Moses to give us towns to live in and pasture lands for our livestock. So by the command of the Lord, the people of Israel gave the Levites the following towns and pasture lands out of their own grants of land. Now let me give you a little historical context. The Israelites, as they're coming into the promised land, there's 12 tribes of Israel. And the land is divided up by lot. This casting lots. Again, creating a situation beyond their control for God to decide who's going to get which land allotment. And the Levites are not included in the lottery for the land. The reason why they're not included, it's really 
It's, it's, it's manifold. There's several reasons. We don't have time to get into all of it tonight, but one of them is because God says that, that for the Levites, their inheritance is the special relationship that they get to have with God as the spiritual leaders of the land. But another reason why the Levites were not given an allotment of land, because the Levites, because they are the spiritual leaders, God does not want them to live in one place. He wants them to live in all of Israel. So all the Levites were spread out through all, all the tribes, so they could be everywhere. But it begs the question, doesn't it? Why didn't, if God was going to divide up all the land for all the different tribes, why didn't he set aside certain cities just for them? Because they needed homes to live in. They needed pastures for their livestock. It's interesting, isn't it? He gives the land to the tribes, and then his command was to the tribes, now you look throughout the land that was given to you, now I want you to give some of your cities to them. He gave it to the tribes so they could give it to the priests. Why would he do that? Because he's trying to teach them the importance of stewardship and generosity as a practice for life. He was inviting them to begin to do the things that he knew needed to guide them on their journey so that they could become spiritually fat, so all the yokes of bondage that they eventually kept putting on themselves anyways, God was trying to show them, if you will practice and live in the way that I'm trying to show you, you will experience a liberty that you can't even imagine. See, because stewardship says everything that I have belongs to God anyways. And I live my life asking the question, God, what do you want me to do with your stuff? And generosity is being willing to step into the moments where he guides us to give a portion to others as he leads us and to give the portion that belongs to him that the Bible so clearly describes, which we're going to get into through this series The portion principle is true today. We're not talking about land allotments and tribes. and We're talking about families that have means. All the material resources that you have and all the material resources that I have. The portion principle holds true today. God gives it to me and he gives it to you so that we have the privilege and the opportunity to give it to other people generously. Because there's something about a person in need being blessed by another. And the gift of love and affection that they receive, but then there's also, there's a gift in it for you. And it's called spiritual fatness. Is that you're making room for the character of Christ to grow in you. The things that God invites us into, right? So many of us, again, myself included, we struggle with it at times, right? We look at that amount of money. We think of what we could do with it, but something inside of us, we've got to connect to a different appetite. And if this is a portion that we know that God is asking us to set aside for another, if this is a portion that we already know that God has asked us to set aside for him, we have to trust that he's going to provide for us in the ways because he knows the needs that we have, but we also at some point have to shift and say, I want to be more hungry for the character of Christ 
than I am for whatever material gain that I would receive by holding on to a portion that does not belong to me. If you think I'm overstating my case, then I would introduce you to Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. Listen to these verses. These are important verses. We could do a whole series just on these few verses. There are six things that the Lord hates. No, seven things that he detests. That doesn't mean that the writer of Proverbs forgot as he was writing. Oh, yeah, no, there was a seventh one. Right, I need to, almost forgot that one. This is a style of poetry in ancient times. And you write this, and it's a poetic way of saying that the seventh one is worse than all the rest. There's six things, oh, but the seventh one. And as you're reading this list, you begin to ask, this list is pretty bad. I can't imagine what the seventh one might be. These are the six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. A haughty eye, which is pride. A lying tongue. Hands that kill the innocent. A heart that plots evil. Feet that race to do wrong. A false witness that pours out lies. Now, can we just agree? That's a really bad list. But listen to the seventh one. A person who sows discord in a family. Wow. You know why God does things like this? Because he knows that in our human experience, we have a tendency to prioritize wrongness. And we tend to prioritize other people's wrongness as worse than our own. So God does this thing in a Bible called context. And you will often see sins listed in a big list. Old and New Testament. You'll see them grouped as lists. And you know why he does that? So that we will not succumb to the temptation of saying, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. God says, no, 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 you're actually a little worse. You're actually a little worse, just for the record. Just for the record. You might be here tonight and you might say, Fred, I, I believe everything that you're talking about. This idea of portions, this idea of generosity, this idea of the portion that belongs to God, right? Again, which we're going to get to in this series, this concept of tithing. We believe it's biblical for today, the portion that belongs to him. You might be here tonight and you might be saying, I struggle with those things, Fred, but at least I'm not struggling with you know, some of the worst sins. I share that in Proverbs 6 because of what we find in 1 Samuel 2. Verse 12 says, Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord. Now I'm going to jump to verse 17. So the sin of these young men was very serious in the Lord's sight. Listen to what it says. For they treated the Lord's offering with contempt. Now God intentionally lists one of their other sins. Verse 22. Now Eli was very old, but he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. We are only told two specific things that qualify them in God's eye to be scoundrels. One is that they sexually mistreated young women, and then the only other thing that were given is they kept portions that did not belong to them. Why would God put those together? Because he knows that in society, 
most people are going to understand the inappropriateness of this. But we are going to have a tendency to justify and to explain away the seriousness of that. And God says, be careful. Be careful. Because I see this and I see that. They're both egregious. This is part of the journey for us at City Life is to say, I want to dig deep into this book and then I want to begin the journey of bringing my life into alignment with it. We do not want to be fat in the ways that we're not supposed to. We want to be strong in the character of Christ. And it requires discipline. It means that we've got to be willing to live our lives by not putting a fork in the pot and taking something that doesn't belong to us. So let me ask this question. Am I yoked with debt and lack because the spiritual fatty foods of stewardship and generosity are missing from my spiritual diet? Am I yoked with debt and lack because the spiritual fatty foods of stewardship and generosity are missing from my spiritual diet? I'm going to invite the band to find their way back to the front. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 30. It says, this command I'm giving to you, you today is not too difficult for you. It is not beyond your reach. It is not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask who will go up to heaven and bring it down so that we can hear it and obey. It's not kept beyond the sea so far away that you must ask who will cross the sea to bring it to us so that we can hear it to obey. No, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart so that you can obey it. Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between, listen, prosperity and disaster. This is part of the covenant that God had with Israel. That there is blessing and obedience. And that there's always trouble in disobedience. As Christians, we love this verse right here. Galatians 3.29. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. If you're Abraham's seed, the King James Bible said, you're heirs according to promise. Oh, we like that verse. We want to be Abraham's seed and heirs according to promise, but we want it without the consequential nature of obedience. We want the blessing that comes, that flows through Abraham, that flows through Christ from us, but the blessing with, of Abraham comes with responsibility. It comes with an expectation to walk in obedience to God and trusting that where we fall short, grace will always make it up. You and I in this journey of life, there is a growth, there is a potential that all of us are born with. And we hope that in this series that you're going to be inspired and encouraged and yes, maybe even convicted, maybe even challenged. That you've got to resume this journey of these 12 pathways. Change the spiritual diet that you've been consuming and begin to add in the things that are missing. So that when temptation comes knocking on your door and your tomorrow, 
that it just has to turn and walk away because the yoke that it carries is too small to fit the character of Christ that is formed in you. Stand with me. Father, I pray that as we step into this moment of worship tonight, that your Holy Spirit would begin to give us glimpses, would begin to give us insight into the areas of our life that need some attention. Maybe even for someone here tonight, God, it's, it's specifically this idea of portion. It's specifically this idea of stewardship and generosity. Maybe for others that are here, it could be something else. It could be the, the, the neglect of times in prayer or, or worship or service or scripture. It could be some other area of their life. It could be some other fatty food that needs to be worked in, God. But for all of us, let it be, God. As we move into this week, that we're going to be less hungry for the things of this world and more hungry for the things of God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship together. As we worship, there's going to be people here at the front for you for prayer. There's also somebody here in the middle, and then there's also a couple that's in the back corner. If you're in the balcony or sit towards the back, find your way to someone. Let them pray over you tonight.